But we are in a four-week series, and we are in week four of this four-week series entitled All Aboard. The elders here at The Grove decided is that we were moving into this new year, into 2020, into this new decade of years, that it would be a good point to once again make sure that we are all on the same page, make sure everybody in our church is pointed in the same direction, that you all know exactly who we are, exactly where we're going, exactly what track we're on. So we started three weeks ago on December 29th talking about the vision of our church. A vision is simply a picture of the future. It's a picture of what could be if we all do what we have been called by God to do. And then two weeks ago, we turned our attention to our mission statement, our, our mission statement here at the Grove. Do you, re, do you remember? We've been, we've been repeating this every week, so I hope that you remember it. It is deeply rooted, growing, strong, producing fruit. Come on, say it with me. It is deeply rooted, growing, strong, producing fruit. Let me hear you. It is deeply rooted, growing, strong, producing fruit. Now, we, we, we get our marching orders, we, we get this statement literally from the Great Commission that Jesus put in front of us. It's kind of some of the last things that Jesus said right before he, right before he ascended into heaven. Jesus came, verse 18, said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, the purpose of the church is really clearly laid out right here in very simple terms. We don't need to go any further. It's right here. The purpose of the church is to do one thing. We are here to make disciples. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, a disciple is simply somebody who's following somebody else with the intent of being like them. The goal of the church is to make disciples, to make disciples of Jesus. And then Jesus gave us two goals. Jesus wants us to unleash two goals in the church that will serve this purpose, that will help us to get this purpose along. Evangelism and education baptizing them, evangelism, bringing somebody who doesn't know Jesus into a relationship with him, evangelism, good news, baptizing them, teaching them, educating them, bringing them along in, 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 in what we need to know about, about God. Jesus says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, the mission statement of the Grove drives us to, these, to, this, to this purpose and to these goals. If we simply follow this path, we will be the church that God called us to be. So two weeks ago, we started. And with the first phrase, deeply rooted. This is the first step of the mission statement. And really, it's personal. It begins with you. Deeply rooted. Are you deeply rooted? It's, it's evangelism. The question is, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And do you know that? I mean, are you absolutely confident of that? To help you, we've instituted two classes. One that's been going for a couple of years called Roots. It's a first step class. It's about who we are and what we believe. And it's about, as a church, it's about why Jesus and why Jesus is a Savior and how do you accept Jesus as, as a Savior. And then after you come out of that class and you're officially 
a member of Christ's body and then officially a member of this church body, then the next step is foundations. And we've just announced the beginning of, of that. I'm looking for 15 people. I think I already have 12 of you signed up. And in several weeks, we're going to start. We're, as soon as I get the, le- the next three people, we're going we're gonna to set a date and, and set a time during the week, and then we're going to move. It'll, it, foundations will be a 12-week class. We'll meet for about 90 minutes a week. And the purpose is to build a solid foundation for your faith. And some of you say, but I've been a Christian for years. I, I understand. But the purpose of this class is to build a solid foundation. And we want everybody at the Grove to, to get through this class eventually. To know, to be absolutely 100% certain that I am saved. To know, to be absolutely certain that the Bible is God's word. To know, to be absolutely certain that what we hold today is, is accurate to what was written all those years ago. And that, that we, we can be absolutely confident in, in God's word about how it's laid out and what its purpose is. And, 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 and it's a foundation that is true in our lives. And then to, to know without hesitation that it is the authority of our lives. Our our heart is to put every person associated with the Grove on a firm, solid foundation to help you become deeply rooted. And then we are encouraging to move on. Once you're deeply rooted, then we want you to begin the process of growing strong. Now, deeply rooted is a a moment in time. It's a place where you come, you you get settled in your relationship with Christ, you know you're saved, and and then you move on to the next two areas. But in these next two areas, what you need to know is they're not a moment. They're really a lifetime. They're a lifetime. Growing strong in your relationship with the Lord is is not something that you're going to do in five minutes. It's literally going to be from this point forward until the day you die, you're going to to be growing to be like Jesus. Which, which as you grow in the knowledge of God's word to become a mature follower of Jesus, it, it enables you to understand his will. And then, and then it helps you to be able to clearly walk in obedience to what you know to be true. And the only way to make that happen is if you become intimately acquainted with God's word. Now, you remember we encouraged you to be involved in four specific activities. Weekly worship, to make a commitment to be in church every Sunday, and then from there to have a weekly small group, a place where you were going to kick around what you, what you heard in, in the weekly message on Sunday, and then, and then to have a daily Bible study, a place where you are getting alone with God and, and allowing God to, to, to be intimately involved in who you are, to, to build this one-on-one relationship with him, and then to develop a cord, which is really accountability group. Coming out of Ecclesiastes 4, a, a cord of two or three strands is not easily broken. And, and from there, then, we're encouraging you to take the third step, which is, which is our, our, our topic today, and that is producing fruit. Deeply rooted, growing strong, producing fruit. And again, producing fruit is not something that is a one-time activity. Once you are firmed up in your foundation with Jesus, then these two areas of your life are places that you need to be involved from this day forward. As you grow in intimacy and depth in your relationship with Jesus, He'll change your life, and that will enable you to make a difference. And it brings me to several things that I want to put in front of you this morning. I want to encourage you to write them down. And it begins with this thought. God wants you. God wants you. God wants your life to produce a harvest. I'm I'm not sure why Christians seem to get confused here. So let let me see if I can clear this up. 
And this is not in your notes. It just hit me several days ago that it needed to be. So forgive that. But would you write a couple of things down? And the first one is this. We are saved by grace. I am saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is grace... For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There is nothing I can do to be saved. I am saved simply because God provided the way to be saved. God provided Jesus. I am saved. It's, it's a gift. God gave it to, to me. Come on, church. Amen. Yes? I'm saved by grace. There, literally nothing you can do, which, which goes against kind of how we think. We, we think that we have to earn what we have, but grace is not anything that you can earn. Grace is something that it is given. Now, it's something that you have to receive. It's something that you have to take. It's something that you have to make yours. But God is standing there. Jesus in Revelation 3, standing at the door. He's knocking. He's asking you to let him in. He wants to come in and be, be your Savior, to be your Lord, to be intimate with you. And so we are saved by grace. Which leads to the second part of this phrase of Paul in Ephesians 2, which is once we are saved by grace, our life in Christ ought to be marked by good works. Paul going ahead, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, Christians start getting confused. Do I have to earn my salvation? No. You are saved by grace. When you come to the family of God, you are saved. You're in the family because God made it possible for you to to, to be here. He paid the way. Jesus died for you. But once you get here, what God wants you to do is produce good work. God wants your life producing a harvest. You were not saved to sit. You were saved to be productive. So what what is the fruit that God wants to produce in your life? Two things character. He wants to build your life to look like Jesus, the one you're following, the one you're a disciple of. The longer you're a Christian, the more and more your your life ought to be maintaining these character traits that were in Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, self-control, temperance. People who are disciples, followers of Jesus, take on his character his heart, his attitudes. And a second kind of fruit that your your life ought to be producing is evangelistic fruit. God wants you leading other people to him, sharing your faith. You accepted the grace of God, the forgiveness of God into your life. And probably somebody was involved in that process. Somebody who already knew Jesus, somebody who was already walking with him, might have been a parent, might have been a friend. Who, who was leading you down a road to come to Jesus Christ. And now what God wants you to do is come full circle. Someone led you so you could become deeply rooted. Now what God wants you to do is be leading somebody else so that they can become deeply rooted. You're, you're literally God's ambassador, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now God's serious. He wants to give you salvation. And the gift of salvation should change you so that you become this person who God is producing a harvest through character evangelism and it brings me to several comments I want to make to you about bearing fruit 
These comments come right out of the, again, at the, at the end of Jesus' life. John, chapters 14 through 16, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. They've had the Last Supper, which was the Passover feast, changed where Jesus turned it into the communion feast. And then, and then in John 14 through 16, Jesus is just firing out a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of things that the disciples are going to need to know when he's gone. And Jesus is going to be gone literally in a few hours. He's going to be arrested and crucified. Now, I find it interesting that right before Jesus died, he's, he's, he's sharing about this work. And one of the things that he's talking about their work is this idea of being productive. Truths about being a fruitful Christian. They come out of John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Four thoughts. First, when, when you are connected to Christ, bearing fruit is just a natural thing. And this is what G- Jesus says. I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me, and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Brenda and I still own a home in Glendale, Arizona. A bunch of you have been praying about that. I'm thankful. Hopefully, we are not going to own it much longer. We are at the very, very, very end. Here's the deal. Our renters absolutely destroyed our house. And when I say destroyed, I mean mean destroyed. We've spent the last four months literally gutting the house, and now it's been put back together. It's been a total pain in the neck. And so just so you can get a glimpse of what we've had to deal with, this is our swimming pool after our renters got done with it. Lovely, isn't it? They drained it. They wrecked the plaster. They wrecked everything else. We literally had to gut the pool. And so now this is what the pool looks like now, okay? So this, is, this has been the whole house in Phoenix. The whole interior of the house looked like the swimming pool, which when I walked into it in August, I mean, literally, it's just like all the breath is taken out of your lungs. It's like, <sighs> so, but we are almost through. We are almost done. They're putting the countertops in this uh, tomorrow and Wednesday. The carpet goes in, hallelujah. The electricians, the plumbers come in, they connect everything up, and then a for sale sign goes in front of it, and you all are praying that we sell this thing, Right? And we, pr- and we sell it for a zillion dollars. Please pray that it sells for top dollar. Anyway, the house was built in what used to be, many years ago, a citrus grove. I mean, huge. Many, 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 many acres of citrus trees, orange trees, lemon trees, grapefruit trees. And according to the, the people that sold the land to the builder, CCRs were, came in because we live in this community, And every house in this neighborhood, 450 homes, every house needed to have a citrus tree in its front yard. And so Brenda and I, when we bought our house, we had a lemon tree in our front yard. And the funny thing about that tree is is it produced, and I mean gigantic lemons. If you saw, they almost look like grapefruit, some of them. They were massive. People people came from all over to to pick fruit off of our tree. Now, the funny thing about that tree, though, is, is this. I, n- I, never, I never heard it. In all the years, the 17 years we lived there, I never one time heard this tree straining to produce fruit. You know what I mean? Like in the middle of the night, you hear this, out in your front yard. Never heard it. Never heard it. The fruit coming off that tree was just natural. There, in, in the spring, what would happen is suddenly the tree would flower up. And then, and then that would turn into to all these buds that were turning into lemons. And before you knew it, the tree was just heavy, weighted down with these lemons that were just growing huge. It was a natural process. And that's how it should be with you and the fruit God wants 
your life to produce. This isn't something that you have to strain for. When you are connected to the vine, when you're connected to Jesus, the fruit just comes out of you. And it leads to a second truth. Jesus clearly says in John chapter 15 that unfruitful branches are cut off. You bear no fruit, off. There came a point when our lemon tree in, in Glendale, Arizona, became diseased. The tree started withering. And, and, and then, after a couple of years, it literally stopped producing fruit. And we, we worked to try to reverse the process. You know, we were putting nutrients into the ground and, and doing everything we could to, to, try to, to try to bring it back to life. But, but nothing worked, and eventually the tree was dying. And so what we did is we just cut it down. It's, it's, it's what you do when a tree is like dead. You take it out. And what you need to know, friends, is that God, Jesus, does the exact same thing with us. He works to make our lives productive. But eventually, if we're not bearing fruit, you get cut off. Because people that are connected to the vine are people that are bearing fruit. It's one of the ways that you know that you actually are connected to Christ. And, and if you're not, if you're not bearing godly fruit, then you don't belong in the Lord's vineyard. Which leads to a third truth Jesus puts out there. And that's the goal is not like a small harvest, not some fruit. What, what Jesus really wants is much fruit. John 15, 8 says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, three times in this short, in this short, short section of Scripture, just eight verses, three times, verse 2, verse 5, verse 8, th th this word much fruit appears. Listen, Christian, God wants to produce an overflowing harvest in your life. So he is at work teaching, training, leading, guiding, supporting, helping, encouraging. His heart is to help you be uber fruitful in your Christian walk. And it leads to one last truth that comes out of this passage. And that is that God prunes on us. God prunes in order to make our life more productive. He cuts off every branch in, in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Years ago, Brenda and I bought our first house in Anaheim, California, and it was all we could afford. I mean, in California, Southern California, it was nuts. We had saved for years and years and years, and, and we, we literally bought a repossession on a cul-de-sac, and it was down towards the end of the cul-de-sac, right, right as the curve was starting. And right next door to us, there was, a, there was another house that didn't look so great, but we were excited about buying this house that really didn't look great. And so we, we got into it, we started the process of fixing it up, and then we started understanding what was next door to us. It was a rental house, and it was owned by a guy named Mr. Inge, and Mr. Inge was a slumlord. He owned like 200 homes in Orange County, and he didn't care about any of them, and he really didn't care about his renters. He was just trying to cover up this, cover up his monthly outgo so that he could allow the homes to escalate in value so he could become this big rich guy. I, I, I didn't, I, that was fine with me, but, but what was the problem was who was living next door. We had all kinds of drug lords living there. At one point, it was a halfway house for people who were really, really, really mentally disturbed, like on, like, like on medication type disturbed, and it's crazy. And so we're looking at this house that's a shambles, and we're trying to put our, our house together. And so Brenda and I decided that we just wanted to cover up the house next door to us on this cul-de-sac. And, and what we decided to do was, put, was to put it in a hedgerow. 
And so I, I went down to the local greenhouse and I said, hey, help me, what do I want? And the guy said, you want wax leaf privets? These things will grow be about eight feet tall. They can grow three or four feet thick. You, you, it, wax leaf privets grow like, like a weed, put them in the ground, you know, before, before you know it, you won't even see the house. So I, I literally dug from the, from the corner of our house all the way to the street. I, I, I took out all the lawn and then, and then I planted these 30 wax leaf privets like every foot and a half, two feet. And, and then I started watering them and fertilizing them and watering and fertilizing them. I was down on my hands and my knees and I was talking nicely to them and I wanted them to grow and I wanted them to grow and I wanted, and after six months, they had grown about an inch. And I was a little bit disturbed by that. And so as I was, you know, pouring out my heart to one of my friends one day, my friend said, well, you, 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 gotta, you gotta prune them back. If you prune them back, they'll grow. And I'm thinking this guy is absolutely crazy. In, in six months, we've grown an inch, and what you're telling me to do is cut off two or three inches off these things, cut, cut off a year and a half or two years worth of growth off these things so they can grow bigger? That's absolutely nuts. My friend said, I'm serious, you do it, it'll work. So, I mean, I was at the end of my rope, and so what I, what I, what I did was I, I went down to Home Depot and I bought a pair of trimmers, and, and I went down and I, and I pruned all this thing down, and wouldn't you know, like two weeks later, the thing had grown like six inches which now means I'm out there every other day pruning on this thing, right? Because that's what happens. When you, when you prune and you cut back, you're, you're taking out unproductive branches and all the attention, all the sap is flowing to the places that are gonna grow. And, and friends, God does the exact same thing in your life. He's pruning on you, helping to cut out the bad habits, working to limit exposure to things that are going to take you down wrong roads and hold you down, hold you back. God is working in you to make his word and his will be the only directives of your life so that you can grow strong, so that you can produce a harvest. God wants you to be fruitful, to be productive for the kingdom. And it leads to a second statement. And it's, 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 it's simply this. God wants you to be productive, but he wants you to be productive in, in very pointed ways. In fact, there are three specific places that God wants you to be productive in your life. He's not looking for just any fruit. He's looking for specific fruit. Yes, your character, becoming like Jesus, evangelistically, you leading other people to Jesus. The, 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 the growth in our lives, growing strong is where we grow to look like Jesus. This section of producing fruit is, is what I'm talking about here. Where does God want me to produce fruit? Where? And it, it raises this thought, three specific places. First, God wants you to produce fruit in your home. God wants you to serve your home. God set up the home to be the foundation of society. If the home crumbles, the world's doomed. That's just how it goes. And so our first circle of responsibility, Christian, is to our home, our personal family. God has roles and responsibilities that are laid out for all of us. And let, 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 me, just, let me just say that we, we, could, we could spend a month of Sundays right here. We, we could spend one, two, three weeks on each one of these topics. I'm just literally going to quickly mention them. What I'm hoping that you'll do is, is take these four areas home, that you spend some time this week with your Bibles, reading through this section of Scripture and asking God to help you understand exactly what it is that He wants you to do in your role. Because the truth is, 
we, we all have at least one of these roles. Some of us have several of them. So here, here's, here's the first role in the family, husbands. Husbands, God says that your, your duty and your responsibility in the home is to love your wife as Christ loved the church. It's coming right out of Ephesians chapter 5. Husband, your task is to cherish your wife and treat her with the same kind of love and respect that Jesus treated the church. And by the way, husbands, the way that Jesus treated the church was he died for it. Jesus laid down his life for the sake of the church. Jesus understood that he was not first. What Jesus did was he served his bride. And husband, I want to encourage you to love your wife in that same way, to that degree. She is first. I am not first. She is first. Your attention is for her, for her needs, for lifting her up, to help her, to love her, to encourage her, to support her. You're here to love and cherish her, to take care of her. And, and then Paul turns his attention to wives. He says, wives, your role, your responsibility in the home, the way that you serve your husband is by submitting to him and creating a blessing in your home. Ephesians chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 31. Now, I, I know we hear this word submit, and it's one of those words we don't, we don't like very, very much, especially in an age of equality. Why, why would a woman submit to her husband? I mean, it, it, it sounds antiquated. It sounds silly. It sounds ridiculous. Well, let me, just, let me just tell you, submission does not mean that you're not equal. It, it, it doesn't mean that you have equal importance in the home, in the family relationship. We, we are all equal in God's sight. I mean, read Romans. God, God says there's no male, there's no female, there's no Jew, there's no Greek. God looks at all of us and he sees us all as equally important, equally wanted, equally cherished, equally loved. But while we're speaking about equality, the truth is we're not equal. The truth is just there are some things that a male can do that a female can't, and there are things that a female can do that a male can't. Like give birth to kids. Any male in here done that lately? I mean, the truth is I don't care how hard you try. I mean, I, I understand Arnold Schwarzenegger's been in a movie that says it's possibility, but it's not a possibility. It goes against nature. It doesn't work that way. Gals, you have cornered the market on being able to, to bear children. And so we all have, in an unequal way, our own roles and responsibilities in the home. We're all equally important to God, but we all have our roles. God has called the husband to lead, protect, and love his wife. And wife, God wants you helping your husband by support, supporting him and submitting to his leadership. Let me, just, let me just say, the principles feed on each other. Husbands, when you do not do your job, you put your wife in a precarious position. When you live selfishly, when you neglect your spouse, it helps her to step out of God's plan and not submit to you, which is not pleasing to God. And, and, and the same thing goes for you wives. When you're not doing your job of supporting your husband and encouraging your husband, submitting to his leadership, you're living in disobedience to God. And the home begins to crumble this way. The point is when each of us are busy carrying out our responsibility, marriages are fulfilled. So God's called us to service in the home, but it doesn't end with the husband and wives. The, the, the fact is we're all called to that place. So, so we, we go on. Parents, love, lead, 
Guide your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9. Parents, you are responsible to lead your kids in their relationship with the Lord. You are to model for them and bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And here's the truth. When you shirk, parents, when you shirk your responsibility, you damage your kids. When you're not growing and leading your kids, what you are doing is setting up disastrous things for your kids. And kids, students, you have a responsibility too. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, 1-3 through 3, that you're to obey, honor, and respect your parents. You're to be thankful for parents and, and make their task easy. And your responsibility is, is to submit under their leadership and obey them, honor them, respect them. Now, again, these principles feed on each other. Parents, when you lead in a godly way, it will make it easy for your kids to obey and, and honor and respect. And children, when you live in obedience to your parents, it makes it easier for them to do their task, which is to lead you. And let, let, let me just make one critical point here, because I, I already know what, what goes through our minds. It's like, well, I live in a home that, that there's not godliness around me, and so I'm released from my responsibilities. And listen, that is absolutely untrue. What I, what I want you to hear me say is these commands are completely not, not conditional. They're not conditional at any level. You don't see the word if here anyway. Wives, submit to your husbands if they are everything God called them to be. No. What, what God says is, this is your role, this is your responsibility, so live it out, regardless of what the other person may do. As a follower of Jesus, you're responsible to do the things that, that God has put in front of you. And let me tell you, when you live in godliness, you will make a difference. So make a determination that you're going to serve your home. I mean, right here, what is your role? You could, be, you could be a wife and a child and a parent. And when that happens, you have a responsibility to live in these roles and to bring God honor and glory. Serve your home. Produce fruit in your home. And then move to a second place that God wants you to make a difference, and that's in your church. Serve your home. Minister in your church. Now, one of the sad commentaries about the church is that it's an institution that the vast majority of people are not contributing. And I mean vast majority. The, the rules say something like it's 80-20. Like 80% of the work is in the church is done by 20% of the people, and 20% of the work is, is done by 80% of the people, which means the vast majority of people are doing very little or nothing. And that's across the lines, whether it means giving financially donating your time. And I'm just telling you, it's, it's not how God, God intended for the church to run. What God intends is that there will be 100% involvement by the members of the church. If the church is going to flourish, it demands that you get involved. The analogy that the New Testament gives us is of a body. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The message, you have a task to serve in the church. If the church is going to be functional and healthy, fully functional and healthy, then you need to do your role. God and the rest of us need you to step up to the plate. 
The things that you bring are absolutely necessary if, if the church is going to be fulfilled. So get to work. Use your gift. I mean, it's Paul's encouragement as he moves on in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. If a man's gift is prophesying, then prophesy. Verse 7, if it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encouraging, encourage. Know your gift and then get busy in the church using your gift. God has called you to be productive in three specific places. He wants you to, he wants you to serve your home. And then he wants you to minister in your church. And then he wants you to find a mission in your world. And what I mean here is follow the command of Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Go. Go into all the world. The Great Commission doesn't say sit and wait for the world to come to you. What Jesus tells his followers is to go. Go into the world and make disciples, leading them, baptizing them leading them, evangelizing them, helping them to find Jesus, lead them into a relationship with Jesus, help them to become deeply rooted. I mean, it's really simple. If the world's going to be one for Jesus, it will take all of us. There's not any one person who can win the world. If God, it was God's intention that all of us would go to our corners of the world and that we would share the good news about Jesus with that corner. In other words, God wants you to become a missionary. And when I say missionary, I'm not talking about somebody who has to go to Asia or Africa. You do not have to go there because the truth is our, our, our cities, our towns, our townships, our county is filled with people who need to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. These people are living next door to you. Some of them are living in your home. And God's called us to go make a difference. Take the good news of salvation to them. So here, here's, here's the picture. The picture is producing fruit. God wants you to serve your home, minister in your church, and have a mission in the world, a place that you are going to help somebody come to Jesus. The task is to be, to be obedient, to follow through with what God has called us to do, and at least straight to the third point. And that's, that's the point of resource, that the truth is, is that God has already given you a powerful resource to successfully accomplish your task. And that resource is called the Holy Spirit. God never asks you to do anything that he doesn't in advance provide you with the resource to accomplish. And I mean every tool. If God is asking you to do something, he's giving you the time, he's giving you the money, the talent, the opportunity, the words. If God has asked you to do something, then you can be sure that in your, in your grasp, in your person already, you have the tools to accomplish that thing. And one of the significant ways that God resources us is with the Holy Spirit. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, is in context of what we're talking about this morning, he does three very specific things to help you in these three areas of service. First, that he gives you the character to love and serve your family. Galatians 5 is talking about this. When you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive him, you receive the character of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, which, by the way, in Greek is long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's already living. You, you have the full slate of these things. I love Paul's words in Colossians chapter 2, 9, and 10. I don't think this passage is in your notes, so I want to encourage you to write it down. In Colossians 2, 9, and 10, Paul writes, In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. In other words, when you looked at Jesus in the first century, you were looking at God. 
The, the fullness of God was on Jesus. And then Paul goes on, he says, and you, you have been given fullness in Christ. That full content of the character of God relied and lived in Jesus and now through the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's endowed you with it. It's already there. People who are praying, oh Lord, make me more loving. Oh Lord, make me more patience. You couldn't be any more loving. You already have the full content of the character of the love of God living inside of you through the Holy Spirit. The question is not whether God can make you more loving. The question is whether you will allow God to be turned on in your life so that you will actually produce the love that is already there. You have all the love. You have all the patience. You have all the kindness, all the gentleness, all the self-control to fulfill your role in your family as a parent, as a child, as a spouse. God's already resourced you through the Holy Spirit. And second, the Holy Spirit has already brought you the gifts to be a useful member of the church family. There are three specific passages in the New Testament that speak about this. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11 and moving down. Everything the church needs, and this is, this is another amazing thing, everything the church needs to successfully navigate the road that God has put in front of us is already here. Have you thought about that? We have the people that we need and the resource that we need. We have all the money that we need. It's all right here. All the talent that we need to accomplish what we need to do, it's all right here. It's already here because you've been gifted with it. The question is, are you going to unleash it? Will you be faithful with your pocketbook? Will you be faithful with your gifts? Your task is to know who you are and know what God has called you to do. Now, in the coming year, we're going to be unveiling a class to help you with this. It's, it, it's going to be called SHAPE. And in your notes, you have these words shape. And I just, I want you to take a moment and write these down. Because in this class, what we're going to help you to do is understand exactly how God has wired you. And, and that will help you to understand exactly where you ought to be serving in the church. So S stands for spiritual gifts. When you come to Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. And he brings you a gift of service, a gift, a gift of organization, a gift of leadership, a gift of teaching, a gift of mercy and compassion. I mean, there are, there's, there are a host of gifts that exist in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4. And, and God has unleashed at least one of them into your life through the Holy Spirit. So what are the spiritual gifts that you have? And if you don't know, this class will help you identify them. From there, the question is, what is your heart? And I put the word passion here because here's the deal. In the church, our gifts are needed in every ministry of the church. If you have a gift of mercy, here's the question. Does the children's, does the children's ministry department at our church need people who are merciful? The answer is yes. So, okay, youth program. Does the, does the youth program of our church for teenagers, does that, that need a person who is merciful? The answer is Yes, okay, so we go to seniors, to seniors in our church. Do, do, do they need somebody who's gifted with mercy in that, in that ministry? The answer is yes. We have shut-ins in our church, people who can't get out. And do, do those people need mercy in their lives? The answer is yes. So what your spiritual gift is, the question is what's your heart? Now, where are you, where are you gonna put it? Because the, the ministries of our church are wide 
And, and you need to know where you're going to plug that in. So what's your heart? What's your passion? Abilities is those natural born abilities that, that you, you're just born with them. Like, like, like playing the piano. Music is not a spiritual gift, but people are born with that gift. And God wants you to know what your abilities are. Some of you are mechanical. Some of you are mathematical. Some of you are musical, artistic. So, so, and so, so in those things, the, the question is, what's your spiritual gift? What's your passion? What are your, what are your personal abilities that you were born with? And then what's your personality? Are you happy or are you sad? Are you outgoing or are you kind of shy? Are you an extrovert or are you an introvert? You, you have to know kind of who you are and how you kind of wire on these things because that way it makes it more sense about where you want to place yourself in the church. And last, experience. We all have experience, relational experience and ministry experience and educational experience and job experience. We have a ton of experiences and all of those experiences help us to understand how we're wired, how we're shaped as well. You're, you are a unique person. And when you look at it in these terms, you, you may be the only one exactly like you. And God has placed you here for a reason, for a purpose. It's to accomplish your task because without you doing what God has called you to do, the church is like a paraplegic trying, trying to live a holistic life. God wants you to find your shape so that the church won't be limping along, so that we'll be able to function fully. And let me say one more thing. To help you with this, we are in the process in the, in the next eight or nine weeks of unleashing a deacon's ministry. We've been talking about it for a long time, and it's now coming upon us. Conversations have been had. We're ready. There, there, there are going to be, we, we've made a list of 45 ministries that we want to start, and we're going to start with like 18 of them. I've got, a, I've got a list here just so you can see really quickly. But greeters and welcome center and ushers and gathering place cafe and security and tech booth and tech computer system and infrastructure and children, students, worship, band and vocals, worship choir, the Grove Gives, which is missions going out outwards, finance, prayer, building, mechanicals, building EPA, buildings, grounds, build, shut-ins, community. It, it, goes, it goes on and on and on. And the question is, you hear a list like this, some of you are already going, oh, like there, oh, like there. I, I have these kind of gifts, and I have this kind of shape, and, 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 and I have a passion for right there. And in, in, in a few weeks, we're going to start setting up some tables around here that says we're, we're wanting you to be in a ministry. We want you to be in a small group. We want you to be in a ministry. And all of these ministries are going to be led by deacon leaders in our church who will, who will help our church to grow and become what it needs to be. The call is to get involved to serve your home, to minister in your church. God has resourced you to do that. And third, God has resourced you with compassion and with a testimony to share Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. One of, the, one of the other amazing things, and, and by the way, there's like 20 amazing things that the Holy Spirit does in your life. But for this morning, these three things, and this third amazing thing that the Holy Spirit does for you is, you is equip you to be a witness. God has moved in your life powerfully, and the Holy Spirit will help you tell that story. You will receive power. The word in Greek is dynamite. You will receive dynamite. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and he will enable you to be a witness right where you are in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In fact, 
when Jesus was alive, before he pronounced this to the disciples, he went so far as to tell these guys to not worry about what they were going to say to people when they came in contact with them about Jesus. Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, on account of me, you're going to stand before governors, kings, as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached to all the nations. Wherever you are arrested, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever, whatever's given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's kind of an amazing thing, don't you think? When you're walking with God and you're taking in his word and you're growing to be strong, the Holy Spirit has a resource inside of you to take what you know and at the right time to pull it out and to put it just right there to be able to share with somebody who needs to hear exactly that. And you'll have power to accomplish that. And if you, all you need to do is go look at the lives of the disciples. I mean, a couple of days earlier, they were literally running in fear when Jesus was arrested. And then 50 days later, Peter's standing up on the day of Pentecost and he's preaching in the temple courts about who Jesus is. What happened to him? Power, Holy Spirit, witness. And friends, God wants you actively producing fruit for the sake of his kingdom. He wants you doing that in three specific places, in your home, in your church, in your world. And he's given you all the resource you need to accomplish it. Which leads to one last thought. Commit. Commit. In fact, what I would encourage you to do even right now is whisper the words to God. Count me in. I am all in. One of the ways Satan's always messing with us is to tell us we're, we're not enough. That we have really nothing to offer. That we have nothing to say. That nobody would ever listen to us. And so he's getting us to try to shirk back. And what he's trying to do is literally steal the power that God has placed in your life to be the person God has called you to be. Don't listen to that lie. Don't listen to the lie of the enemy who's trying to push you down. You listen to the truth of God. He wants you to serve your home, minister in your church, have a mission in the world, and he's given you all the resources through the Holy Spirit, and he's asking you to step out. Think about it. Three things. You, you, you can't fix every family, but you can enable yours to be right and to be healthy. You can't run every ministry of the church. You can't. But you can use your gifts to help unleash one. You can't win the world to Jesus. But you can influence your corner of the world. And I've said this to you before. I'm going to say it again. I want you to listen very carefully. We think about the idea of evangelizing the world, and we think that's an impossible task. It'll never happen. Listen, friends. There are about 8 billion people on the planet. And there are about 1.1 or 1.2 billion people that are Protestants. Protestants. Which means that we're about one to seven. For every Christian, there's about seven non-Christians, which means if every Christian on the planet would win seven people to the Lord, the world would be one. Think about that. Do you know seven people who need Jesus? You don't need to go to Africa to do this. There are people in Africa that we can unleash to accomplish that task. And in today's world, 
If all of us would just commit to seven people, the world could be one. And Satan's got us all believing that it could never happen. Listen, God wants to make you productive, and he wants to help you accomplish his will. My encouragement is refuse to listen to the voice of the enemy. Tell him no and say to God, I am in. So this is God's plan. He wants you producing fruit, serving your home, ministering your church, having a mission in, in the world. And putting all the pieces together, it looks like this. Deeply rooted, growing strong, producing fruit. Deeply rooted, growing strong, producing fruit. Making disciples at the grove. The mission statement at the grove is deeply rooted, growing strong, producing fruit. Would you say it with me? We are here to be deeply rooted, growing strong, producing fruit. Come on, say it again. We are here to be deeply rooted, growing strong, producing fruit. Deeply rooted is a, is a one-time thing. I get there. I've, I've made a commitment to Jesus. I'm following him. And these other two areas, growing strong, producing fruit, are lifelong endeavors. And it really is this red circle going, someone leads me so I can grow strong, so I can produce fruit in leading somebody else to go. This is what we're doing. And the question is, are you in? Bow your heads. Would you do that? And friend, what I want you to hear me say right now, very clearly, is that you are not alone. There's not a person in here that doesn't have a step to take. What's your step? Some of you need to sign up for Roots class today. You need to find Jesus. You need to make a commitment to him. And you need to make this church your home. Some of you today need to sign up for foundations. I'm going, to take the, I'm going to go to the next level. Some of you today need to say, I'm in, I'm growing strong. I've made the decisions, I'm walking with God. I'm in a small group, I'm, in a get, or I'm going to get in one. I need to produce fruit. I'm going to be in a ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to make a difference in my home. I'm going to start concentrating on my world. Friends, God has a step for you to take today, and the question is, what is it? As we're in 2020, as we're in this new decade, it's not a moment to sit. It's a moment to move. And so, Lord, I pray that you'll just uh, prick our hearts. Help us to hear. Help us to move. Help us to move with joy and with gladness as you move through us to accomplish your will in this place. And we lift it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said,